Uh, Steve-O, let it, um, wow, I was about to say let us know, like we're in a fucking seminar or some shit. Oh, okay, <laughs> well, like, let us know. Let us, <laughs> let so, us get in our speaking circles and talk about our feelings. So what is some of the cool shit that you've been uh, watching lately? Oh, also, congratulations to your Milwaukee Bucks for winning the NBA whoop, Finals. Whoop. Suck it, Skip Bayless. <laughs> <laughs> Telling me that they're going to lose, you grouchy old man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for Giannis. I'm glad he finally got his ring. But like, I am so depressed for Chris Paul. <laughs> like, oh my god, he's never gonna get a ring. If he didn't get it this year, oh, he's never getting one. And it's always like that. There's always that situation where so- you one team wins, but then you're like still in the back of your head's like, well, I don't think that dude's ever gonna get a ring now. Yeah, like it's dude. just kind of the way of the world. It's just somebody. There always has to be a winner and a loser, no matter what. I mean, shit. Yeah, I mean, you're. I, I don't gotta remind you, dude. You're in Packers territory. <laughs> Tell me about it. I'm already living in shitty. Well, and like we all got excited about him cleaning his house, and then he texts uh, Pat McAfee and says that's a bunch of bullshit. No one ever cleans his house, and I was like, "Good damn it! Why are we always lying to each other?" Right. I mean, I, um, I I can't talk. I'm a fucking Bears fan. We haven't done shit. Yeah. Since well, you at least have Field, so you have like you 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 don't have you have a quarterback. Oh yeah. I don't know what I have. <laughs> this is the most excited we've been in a very long time, if ever, about a quarterback in Chicago. Um, yeah, it, it damn sure beats QB one Andy Dalton. Oh, come on. Andy Dalton would have been great. Jesus fucking Christ. He would have been a winner. You know it. That dude, like, he would have been a perfect model for, like, an Abercrombie and Fitch commercial from, like, 15 years ago. But Exactly. But he still and then right next the- to him would be Trubisky. <laughs> oh, God, no. No. That, that, that beautiful man, Trubisky. Trubisky has a face built for a wrestler. I don't mean he WWE does. wrestler. I mean an actual wrestler. <laughs> like... No, no disrespect to wrestlers out there, but yeah, everybody knows what wrestler face is, and Trubisky has a wrestler face. Oh, that poor man. I like as the years went by, as I saw him playing for the Bears, I'm like, he knows his days are numbered. Like every single pass he doesn't complete, he goes, There's another reason for them to fire me. <laughs> yeah, pretty, much. pretty he, much. What what he needs to do is he just needs to get kind of good with another team, and then the Vikings will come by and give him way too much money where he actually gets paid more the less accurate he is. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, I mean, he's on the Bills, so... Uh, I mean, he's not going to get any playing time. With, I mean, I, actually, he may... Yeah, I, I didn't think he was... I'm like, he's not the he's not the starter for the Bills. Oh, hell no. Still... Hell no, he's the backup. Um, he's, he, No way he's ever getting any... Well, no, here's the thing. Like, I was about to say, no way is he getting any playing time under Josh Allen, but he may actually get a decent amount of playing time because the Bills might blow a lot of teams out next year. Or yeah, this year. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Bills. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, other than sports shenanigans... I have been catching up on My Hero Academia, um, which I I cannot get over how much I love that show every it's, single time I watch so it. It's phenomenal. It's just like every episode, even if nothing happens, and it's it's at least still interesting to watch. Oh, yeah. Because like they'll have like backstory episodes or they'll be like hinting at something and then the follow-up episodes, there's something more. And it's just... And like one of my favorite characters is uh, Dark Shadow. I think he is such a freaking badass that gets not a lot of spotlight time. Yeah. But in the recent episodes I watched, he finally got some spotlight. And I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But so I've been watching that. And then I've also been catching up i've been reading a little bit ahead in demon slayer because i finished chainsaw man which i can't wait for the next volume to come out or i should probably actually just read the the manhwa right now but no the the, you mean you already read it the manga yeah no the manga but isn't there more um 
Yeah. Aren't there more like individual issues that are released online? No, not until the sequel drops. No, no, oh. no, 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 no. Um, I mean, you you'll be able to find like which I do all the time, by the way. Um, you you should be able to find like most of the chapters in color, which would technically be like their version of manhwa like really the difference between manhwa and manga is manga is typically a lot shorter and it's in uh mainly in black and white unless they have like special color edition you know chapters mm -hmm. whereas manhwa is all in color and the chapters are like significantly longer and like the 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 art is like very uh like high quality gotcha yeah but yeah no so i read but yeah, so I read the Chainsaw Man, which I enjoyed. Um, Demon Slayer, I'm working on, just kind of fiddling through that. And then I actually got a notification that Solo Leveling <laughs> actually came out with uh, two volumes. Yeah, light of, novel. Yeah. <laughs> so I was actually excited to grab those on Comixology. So yeah. those are also going into the rotation to read. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, no, um, because I know the solo leveling, like the light novel it's based on, it's it's officially finished now, and like I, I'm very tempted. I haven't jumped over to the light novel yet, um, and I'm very tempted to kind of joint switch over to the light novel. But like, this is one of those. This is one of the very few series that I've I've read where like I truly do not want to get spoiled. Like I I want to learn everything as the manhwa chapters get released, whereas most of the time. I'm like, all right, I'm caught up to the manhwa. Like, fuck it. I'm moving over to the light novel because I need to know this shit ASAP. And, like, yeah. I have a little bit of that with solo leveling. But the one thing that's stopping me from jumping over to the light novels is, like, oh, but it's going to look so much cooler if I see it for the first time in the manhwa. So when you say light novel, you mean actual, like, written words. Mm -hmm. No no writing. Right. Or no, no drawings, right. correct? correct. Well, what I what I was talking about is I picked up the the actual mangas. Oh, the, oh okay, the manhwas. Okay, I got you. So yeah, you picked so up I the actually, manhwas in volumes. Yeah, so I picked those got up you. in volumes. Got you. And got so you. Um, I picked up those, and so those ones I'm also I also have to start reading. Um, but hopefully, I'll be able to do more of that this weekend because I finally don't have anything planned for a weekend for <laughs> once. Um, yeah, and also. Volume one for solo leveling actually just got released on audiobook as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I have I have my homework to do this weekend. <laughs> but what about you, Clevo? What have you been working on? Uh watching. Um so uh I watched Black Widow recently. Um I just started the Loki series. Um I avoided all the spoilers, so I literally have no clue what's going on. Like I I haven't watched that one either at I, all. I don't know how, like, I don't know how I did it, but like I somehow successfully avoided all the spoilers. Like I have a, a, a little understanding of what's going on just because I've read the Loki comics, but like, mm -hmm. like, uh, I, I'm going into this shit, like as green as a newborn baby. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh geez. Yeah, no, like I'm, I'm right there with you. And like, I need to watch it. Cause like my sister is like, I, I need someone to talk to about Loki. And I was like, yeah. I'll, I'll watch it when I'll watch it. <laughs> exactly. And, and the one thing about Loki, too, like, that gives me a little bit of apprehension. Not trying to hate it all because I love Loki. The comic book Loki might be my favorite Marvel comic book character, period, to be honest with you. Um, uh, but in terms of, like, the live action version, like, how do I put this cordially? Loki, the, the, the actor who plays him, Tom, what is it, Tom Hiddleston? Yeah, Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston, like he's a great actor, a phenomenal actor. His accents, like, have you if you ever heard him do impersonations, it's amazing. Yeah, but at the same no, time, like fandoms sometimes over exaggerate on like the actual material. And what I mean by that is like he has like a fangirl society in a sense. So like that dude could say like something as simple as like, I got to go take a shit and all those girls will like freak out. And like the guys too, because he has plenty of fanboys too. Like they'll freak out and be like, Oh my God, give him an Emmy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and so like ever, like seeing like these headlines that are like, you can't miss this episode of Loki and you can't do that. And you can't do this. I'm like, okay, how much of that is actually like, this is truly in an intriguing plot. And how much of it is it just like fanboying and fangirling, like freaking out because Loki was, you know, 
spoiler alert for anyone, is supposed to be dead, but now you get a series on him, so you're going to over-exaggerate on everything that's done in the series. Yeah, I was kind of worried that when they announced Loki, I thought it was going to be more of like a cash a cash grab kind of a situation yeah. where they were just trying to see how much they could wring out of this project right? and just see how much they could get away with, and which is... I guess just my negative mentality when it comes to anything that's a spinoff because yeah. then it's always going to be horrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, without a doubt, dude. Without a doubt. And, like, again, like, I, I get that. Like, the cat is particularly when they announce that he's, like, dead and then it's like you're bringing him back for a show. Like, this could easily be a cash grab. Um, But, like, for me, I just have such, like, a... And this is kind of, like, my unique experience as, like, an African-American kind of watching this you know kind of engrossed in a nerd nerd culture is like there's a certain delusional bias that goes into a lot of these fandoms where it's like i uh like i i'd prefer to watch this stuff without hearing any of the fan hype yeah i feel like the fan hype is what can kill any series yeah. right now like like i'm not gonna lie like there were a, there were a lot of moments throughout the marvel cinematic universe you know up until you know avengers endgame um there was like a lot of loki scenes and other characters as well where it's like i'm watching the scene and i'm like this is a terrible scene like 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 not not that the actor's terrible but like this is like boring this is like so cliche like he's giving cheesy like villain one-liners and like you see the fandoms and they're like oh my god what amazing acting and i'm like who what the fuck are you watching <laughs> like like they're like yes it's 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 highly entertaining it's marvel i love marvel like i watch anything that's in the mcu but at the same time like we know that this shit is pretty you know how what's the word um it's pretty like standard and pretty cliche about what's gonna happen yeah, no, they once they found that formula, they would just stick with it and then just continue writing that with every single story they went with. Right. And so it's, you could kind of predict the outcome of most movies by the like third one that came out. Right. So then like so like sometimes it's like when I see fandoms like like I see a bunch of memes and like gifs and stuff about that. My like pessimism comes in and I'm like, uh, I, I wonder if this hype is actually what it's supposed to be. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I generally try not to listen to any hype about anything. Yeah. Um, I guess that has something to do with the fact that I'm still horribly upset with Star Wars. Um, <laughs> yes, God. I thought so many things were going to come out of it, um, but they just threw everything, legitimately everything out the window, including all of the books that were written. Yes. Um, and no, that dude, that's a perfect example. And it, it just it drives me nuts. But then they're taking crap from the books <laughs> that they said they would put in. And, and they're, they're, they're then putting it into the animated series. So either it be Clone of the Wars, uh, Rebels or the Bad Batch. And they're putting them in there, then allowing it to become canon. Right. No, which absolutely. is such a backwards, stupid way of doing it. And it just drives me up a wall. Yeah, and I hate it. And you're and and now they're doing this stuff where now it's like now there's like the the Thrawn series of the books instead of being just branded as a legend. Now it's like legend required reading because <gasps> now they're making some of it because since they mentioned Thrawn in I believe it was in Rebels. And I think they also mentioned him in Mandalorian. Now he's becoming canon. And I'm like, you pieces of shit. Like, you had chances to use all of this material for years. And you decided to brand it as Legends because you didn't want to deal with all the questions that would come with using that material. And you didn't know how to incorporate it into movies. But now you know that you're running out of material. Now you're going to go back to that honeypot of information. Right. Yeah, I would have. I, it's like if you weren't sure what to do with it, just leave it and just be like, we're not going to like incorporate it or make like brand the movies as like Star Wars Legends. And then you just use it that way to make it as like another party or whatever to make movies. And and, and you know what I call in like the problem is too like especially with like these reboots and stuff like that. Like you brought up a perfect point with like the most recent Star Wars series, like the most recent Star Wars series, they you know the only thing they cared about, literally the only thing they cared about was Raylo. 
That's oh, all yeah. they cared about. Like that entire trilogy was just one big fan service. Exactly. Like, it was terrible. And I'm like, dude, you're not developing any of these characters outside of these two. Like, you're turning this series into Twilight in space. Like, I I loved Kylo. Kylo was my favorite character in the entire series because Adam Driver is a phenomenal actor. And no matter what he does, like, he takes it very seriously. Not that the rest of them weren't, but he at least had, like, the most going for his character in terms of, like, the effort that the people behind the camera actually put towards his character. But, um, like as much as I loved him, like half the time I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, is this the part where his skin starts to fucking sparkle? Like, Holy shit. (laughs) You know, it was about to, (laughs) I just, I, we, we can go on an entire different tangent about star Wars. We'll do an episode about all the crap that pisses, pisses me off about it. Um, which, you know, probably everyone will stop following us because of that. (laughs) Uh, but um, 16 minutes in, 17 minutes in, whatever. Uh, welcome to another episode of Limitless Otaku. Uh, it's it's your boy Steve here talking about Star Wars and how stupid it is. Um, and in this week, we're going to talk more about the beginning after the end. Um, so, hey, Cleveland, could you give us a brief rundown of what we talked about last time or what or where we're starting today? I have to go use the little boys' room, so I will be right back. Yeah, no problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, where we kind of left off, um, we talked about Arthur's journey once they meet up with the Twin Horns and, you know, kind of his uh, experiences while he's on kind of their journey to Zyra City. And we talked about, like, how him and Adam got in that duel and everyone was, like, super surprised by how close of a duel it was for arthur who's literally just a child like quite literally just a child we're talking three four years old and he's given adam like a run for his money um and we talked about like kind of how like the cute scene of like his father you know sort of asking arthur after the duel like how did you do that son and like (laughs) arthur kind of bullshits him because he can't tell him like well actually i got this from like my previous fighting experience in another world because, you know, like, I reincarnated into this world. So uh, that was, like, a pretty cute scene. And uh, we just kind of continued to explore that arc of his journey with the Twin Horns. We went over, you know, some of the members, you know, kind of what they brought to the table. And obviously the the big, I guess, the, the big part of that plot or that arc, which was when the bandits attacked. And they all the mages kind of had to defend for themselves and... Well, not defend for themselves because they fought in a group, but had to fight off these bandits and they were severely outnumbered. But because of the fact that the opposing side only had four mages, whereas Arthur's group, every single member of that group was a mage, it kind of balanced the scales in a way that really showed the power of mana and the power of being a mage in that world. Um, specifically in the continent of Dicathan. We'll get into more continents later as we progress in the story. Um, there's big one in particular that, you know, I may even like more than Dicathan it, you know, where the current story kind of is in the light novels. I, I'm not going to lie. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's very intriguing, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, and yeah, no, we, we just kind of talked about... Uh, how the fight with the bandits went on. Um, Arthur ends up sacrificing himself to save his mother because he finds out that his mother is pregnant. And so his father tells him, you know, you got to clear a path or we're going to clear a path for you and your mother. You got to get out of here. She's pregnant. You have to protect your mother. You have to protect your child or protect the child inside of her at all costs. So Arthur takes his mom, tries to escape and, uh, a mage on the enemy side who was hidden uh, attacks them because they find out that Arthur's mom is a healer and they want to, you know, kind of capture her and sell her because, you know, deviant healers will <laughs> pay a pretty hefty price. Um, so Arthur, in the process of defending his mom from the mage's attack, he ends up like falling over a cliff. He ends up surviving. The guy, the mage that fell over the cliff with him ended up dying. And Arthur hears a voice in his head telling him, hey, if you want to meet back up with your family, who all thinks that he's dead at this point, 
Um, if you want to find your family again, meet me at my cave and I'll get you back to your family. So we get to the part where he meets this special being or, you know, particular being that was whispering in his ear, telling him, you know, come to my kind of my home and I'll, I'll tell, I'll show you how to get to your family. And we literally leave off at him meeting this being. And he's like scared shitless because as Steven so eloquently put it, um, last week, it's like a lady Sauron. <laughs> yeah, no, it's exactly like that. Like when I saw the first like picture of her, I was like, Oh, look, it's Sauron. What's he doing in here? I was like, Oh no, wait, you're not Sauron. You just look like Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, um, that's where we left off. Yeah, so at this point, Arthur is legitimately, one, completely confused because he thinks he's been duped by this random, you know, gigantic, you know, monster-looking thing that's, you know, trying to, I don't know, seduce him into her lair, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he quickly finds out, like, by the rhythm and the tone of her voice is actually calming him into a point where he just feels more and more relaxed and more comfortable. And so... Uh, quickly Arthur starts asking him or asks this being all these questions that he was pondering the entire walk to this cave. He was like, uh, who are you? How can you get me home? How did you become, how did you get here? What, why are you bleeding profusely out of your side? Uh, and she just goes through and he just goes through all of these questions. He's been going through his head and the lady in just this like most eloquent, way just states is like well someone's been thinking a lot on their walk and it was just (laughs) like such a funny way to phrase it just to be like to kind of once again calm for one calm arthur down to make him feel more comfortable and then just allow him to you know kind of put him at ease so he's not like on his you know on his back foot trying to escape and so she explains that um she was in a in a horrible battle that's where she got the wound from and she uh she says it it festers from time to time but it it'll, it'll eventually stop or whatever and then she just says that the reason why no one else has found her is the fact that she lives in this area within the beasts um domain that is actually shell it's actually like hidden by mana and so like no one can know it's there unless she allows you to know it's there and so that's the reason why arthur is safe down there so he doesn't have to worry about mana beasts coming in to attack him in the middle of the night and then um at this point um the lady introduces herself because arthur's like how should i like refer to you you're like ma'am mister and she's like well i guess you can call me sylvia um, and so that's where Arthur starts to refer to her as Sylvia and Arthur takes this time while he's waiting for this portal to be created to send him home. He's practicing his techniques. Uh, he's meditating, he's practicing his fighting stances and everything. And while he's been doing this, Sylvia points out to him to be like, Hey, you should try absorbing mana while you're moving around to mm-hmm. kind of counteract the, the waste of mana so that way you can continually always have a reserve of mana in your body while you're fighting and i think they put it beautifully in the web comic which was arthur like thinks about it for a minute and he goes okay i'm gonna do it and then takes like one step and like face plants into the ground yeah it's a <laughs> it's a lot harder than it looks And so then he slowly starts continually trying it, but he's only absorbing a very small amount of mana uh, while he's doing this. So it's something he's continually trying to learn and perfect. And he uh, decides to name this technique. uh, I believe he calls it mana rotation. Mm -hmm. And he starts to practice this over and over again. And while he's doing this, you know, he's practicing on this, he's working on his technique. He has this, he keeps thinking about the fight that happened on the cliff. He's worried about his family and he's, you know, uh, hoping that he made, they made it out there. They made it to um, Cyrus. Okay. Hopes that they're safe and all this stuff. And while he's thinking about it, he actually has this kind of quote unquote, like evil thought, I guess. And he pretty much says that he, he's glad that all these people died because they're horrible humans and Sylvia, who is, of course, telepathic, can read his mind. And she actually, like, flicks the back of his head really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so, and so Arthur believes, like, this was an attack. He's like, Sylvia, why did you do that? 
And she was like, you shouldn't have evil in your heart because it's going to do nothing but bring you down to their level. Right. And so it kind of shows where if you allow yourself to go to like be seduced to like the evilness in the world, you're just going to create more evil in the world. And it's just going to be a continuous rotation and the cycle crap yeah exactly yeah no i love that and then and also i want to piggyback on uh the point that you brought up about sylvia showing him how to store mana while he's moving this again highlights how much more of a head start arthur has compared to everyone else that's in dicath and all the other mages and that's in the fact that sylvia points out like because arthur I, i believe he even makes a comment like hmm, like, why isn't anyone else told me about this? Or, you know, why didn't I, like, why haven't I read about this? Or something like that. He he says a comment on those, like, across those lines. And Sylvia points out, we're like, well, the problem is, at least with humans anyway, is that a lot of them don't learn how to do it because by the time they, um, by the time they, I guess, what's the right word? By the time they uh, awaken oh, their like, monocore. Yeah. Awaken, yeah. yeah, awaken their monocore, their bodies are already too physically developed and like they have too much muscle memory within their body to even make it possible for them to do it. So the fact that Arthur awakened his monocore so early and his body isn't even close to being fully developed, it allows him to kind of go at the process of storing mana while moving, like with the training wheels off, so to speak. So, like, I thought that was really cool because, again, it highlighted, like, like this is not, like, you have to understand, Arthur has a, is an extreme competitive advantage over the, comp- like, his competitors, <laughs> not to use the word twice, but, like, he has a complete, like, advantage over them in the fact that, like, he came from another world, has all that knowledge from the other world, and has been reincarnated into a child's body. Like, yeah, exactly. And then it's also like, I continually have to remind myself he's four years old, right? Like, if you've ever seen a four year old out in the world, like, how would you even try to teach them to be any kind of a like a swordsmith or like a, a like a swordsman or to be like, I'm sure there's some kids out there who are like really into gymnastics and whatever, but I'm sure they're not always going to be practicing 24 seven when there's no authorities around. Exactly. They're going to be kids. But like, since he has the mentality of, you know, a 40 plus year old King or whatever, (laughs) he understands the importance of, you know, practice makes perfect. Right. So it's just, it's so hard when I'm reading this in my head, I picture like a 16, 17 year old kid but then it mentioned something and it's like, and then I turned five years old and I was like, God damn it. That's right. He's four. And now he's five. It's like, I don't, it's so hard to keep that in my head while I'm reading this. Cause in my head with the maturity of the writing and how he thinks and talks, I'm just like, Oh, he must be like 16, 17 years old. And once again, I'm wrong. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then in another thing as well, like kind of on top of that, um, in terms of like his age is the way that Sylvia talks to him. Uh, like, cause we have to remember, this is a very emotionally traumatizing time for Arthur. Like he went his whole, I guess his whole life in his old or his, yeah, his old life. He went the whole time, not really caring about anyone, you know, uh, not really having, or at least not having anyone left in his life that he truly, you know, will fight for anyway in his old life to having a family now and like friends, you know, the twin twin horns within that family where it's like he is invested in his life with them and he's invested in their well-being. And then to have them kind of ripped away from him so suddenly, like he's feeling extremely depressed, extremely angry, you know, sad, uh, lost, so to speak. And so Sylvia comes in and she kind of plays that parental, like parental role for him. Like she gets him back, you know, getting his mind focused on what matters. She gives him at life lesson advice. She listens to like his concerns, his thoughts. She wants to know about his experiences. Obviously, she gives him constructive feedback when necessary. Um, and she kind of plays that caregiver role for him. And he really appreciates appreciates that. And he only stays with her, you know, a couple of months. But in that time that he's with her, they become as close as siblings. 
like literally as close as siblings. Like you can absolutely tell like Sylvia is someone who will be important to Arthur, you know, is going to be an important figure in Arthur's life for the foreseeable future. You know, whether now the context of that we'll get into in a second, but um, like, you know, this, this is someone that's very important to him and will always be very important to him. And yeah. And like, I, I kind of, I, I, I almost viewed Sylvia more as like, not a, like as a little bit more than just a mother. Like I kind of viewed her as like a grandmother kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who's still an authority figure, but someone who you don't have to be as you can be more blunt with them than you can with your own mother. kind Right. Right. Where you can kind of share a little bit more and they can kind of take what you've learned and then manipulate it even more with their experience. And so that's kind of how I viewed Sylvia as more like kind of like a caring either like an, a family friend who is older or like a grandmother. I kind of viewed her as kind of that role yeah. in his life. Or like the cool aunt or uncle. Yeah. Something kind of like that. Yeah. 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 Definitely like that. Yeah. No, that I, I like that. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I really like that. That's yeah, well done, Steve. Um, uh, but, um, like to, to kind of further expand on Sylvia, another thing about Sylvia that relates to Arthur's age is like, even though she's talking to him, like in asking normal questions, you would ask to someone, you know, you just met, she's, she's talking to him in a way where she definitely knows more about him than she's letting on, you know? Yeah, no, it's like, she almost like, she's trying to figure out if he's going to pick up what she knows or not. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and so like to talk a little bit more about Sylvia specific, her background, she's an extremely mysterious character because obviously she comes off as like, like when Arthur first meets her, he literally thinks she's a, she's a monster. We already went over that. But like you said, we find out that she's gentle, she's calm. Um, she's extremely knowledgeable, but then above all, and this is like the thing that made her most intriguing in terms of trying to figure out what she was is Arthur describes when she talks, there's a bit of, you can almost sense like, uh, I think he said like a regality or like a regal, like there's a regalness to her voice. And like, so like that, that implies like nobility, like she's, she's from royalty yet. She's in like this weird hidden seclusive cave in the middle of the beast glades with a uh, like eternal wound that like won't yeah, stop like some, yeah exactly just this oozing wound in her side which the, with what you kind of said there actually kind of made me start to think do you think she manipulates her voice to sound more regal because she thinks that's what will be that that's what will sound normal to Arthur because he's so accustomed to being such a regal because he was a king yeah. in his previous life. So he's more accustomed to kind of that more regal tone and that more proper way of talking. Yeah. Do you think she may have like possibly manipulated her voice to sound more regal just to see if he would pick up on that? Uh, that's a, that's, a, that's a good thought. Like that, that's actually like a really good um, thing to kind of theorize about, but ultimately I don't think so. Just because like, I know certain things about Sylvia. <laughs> Yeah, no, like I understand that you're you're playing with a little bit more information than I am. Yeah. But like if you kind of look at it from where I'm coming from, which is I'm I've just read that chapter. Yeah. And you know, and a little bit more, so I know a little bit more than just that. But right. like I kind of wondered if like she could manipulate that. So if anything, I don't think that she necessarily manipulated her voice to sound more regal. I think that she chose not to manipulate her voice to sound more child friendly. Okay. Yeah, that's that's fair then. You get what I'm saying? Like she said, yeah. I'm not gonna talk to this person like a four year old. I'm gonna talk to him like a former king. That yeah, no, I guess that's another way to look at it. No, that makes more sense. Too. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kinda what it was. Um and so anyway, like I said, Arthur and Sylvia are really getting to know each other. Um us as a reader, we're falling in love with Sylvia more and more. We read about her. And then the big kind of knife in your heart happens, right? So Sylvia just sort of drops, like one day, like in the middle of, you know, them just kind of hanging out, Sylvia literally collapses and like her blood, like the wound on her, the wound, her wound is getting much bigger and the blood's coming out much quicker. So Arthur's freaking out. He's like in tears. He's like, Sylvia, are you okay? Like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's, she passed out right by the portal. And Arthur being as 
uh, perceptive as he is, he realizes like her wound is getting worse because she's working on this portal to send me home. And uh, you find out that the entire time Sylvia has been there making this portal, it's been making her weaker and weaker and weaker. So Arthur obviously immediately feels a tremendous amount of guilt. You know, tears are everywhere. And Sylvia kind of shuts that shit down really quickly. Like, this is my choice. Like, like if anything, you've given me the the uh, blessing of dying earlier <laughs> or dying earlier than I would have because I've been alone. I've been secluded in this cave. Who knows how long I would have stayed here before I actually died. At least helping you, a person that I care about, get to their family I'll be able to have like a satisfying death on my own terms. And then, and then this is when you start getting even more hints that Sylvia knows more about Arthur than, you know, she would originally say is she kind of prepares him immediately to leave the portal. And she leaves this tidbit about him that he actually could have gone in the portal much sooner than the time he's about to at that particular moment. But Sylvia was enjoying his company so much that she just wanted him to stay with her just like a little bit longer. And that was like extremely heartbreaking. <laughs> but at the same time, it also heartwarming because it's clear from our head that like we know that Arthur is viewing Sylvia almost like a family member at this point. But we don't really get her POV. So that's her like confirming to us that like the way that Arthur is feeling about her, she's feeling that way about him as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost like um, Arthur is trying to find a way to prolong her life. Mm -hmm. But Sylvia was more or less just trying to enjoy what little life she did have left. Yeah. And then and it's and it's it's kind of it's kind of more about enjoying those little the little things and like the more the stuff that we don't usually take time to enjoy. Right. Kind of thing. No, that's a perfect point, because she even tells him. Uh, like one of the pro like she makes him make a couple promises uh, to her before they depart. And one of them was, look, I get that you're really advanced for your age. I get that you have a family you want to protect and you're focused on getting stronger. But do not let that derail your childhood. I want you to have like promise me you will have a normal, carefree, like fun childhood like experience. Yeah, exactly. And like it's even and like she even says, like, don't let like kind of don't repeat what you did earlier when you were so mad that you let yourself be filled with so much evil, like learn from those things and be and rise above it. Exactly. So that way you don't have to become, you know, a monster. Exactly. And so then shit really hits the fan because then she tells Arthur, she tells Arthur that um, now that like the portal's ready, like she's taken off the, or she went now that the portal's writing, it's, it's time for Arthur to see her in a form that the name Sylvia actually represents or is more fitting for her actual name, which is Sylvia. And so that's when she transforms again into one of like her true form or one of her true forms. She has a couple because of her race that we'll get into later. But um, uh, she turns into a dragon <laughs> and it's not just any dragon. It's like the most beautiful dragon you'll ever see. Like her, her coating is like this beautiful mix of like white, purple and gold. And she has like these, these like amazing, like striking purple eyes. And it's just like, when you see Sylvia, you're like, damn dude, that might be the most beautiful dragon I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, um, once she changes to that form, she warns Arthur, like, okay, I've changed that form. Like, my enemies are going to know where I am. They've already gotten close to finding me. Now they'll be able to kind of pinpoint exactly where I am. So you need to leave. And so that's, to your point earlier, where Arthur is, like, trying to figure out a way to save her. He's like, no, we can escape together. Like, come with me. You're part of my family now. Like, just come with me. Like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And Sylvia's kind of shutting it down. Like, no, little one, I'm sorry. I can't go with you. But can you do one more thing for me? She's like, can you call me grandma? And um, in the in the webcomic, it kind of – it kind of – fast forwards the scene but in the light novel arthur like he kind of like says like yeah grandma grandma i don't care i'll call you grandma as much as you want like just come with me and then at that point that's when the enemy that sylvia was trying to avoid the enemies that were responsible for giving her that wound that's when they show up and it's an extremely intimidating figure it's like this kind of 
soldier looking knight who has like these horns that are sticking out of his head he has like this kind of sickly grayish pale like uh, he has like this sickly like grayish uh color to his skin he's decked out in like this like all black armor with like a cape flowing out and he's talking to sylvia like super creepily like lady sylvia like do you have to continue to run away like if you come back with us a grona might be able to even heal you like and, and sylvia has like this stone and uh the guy says like hand over the stone like it's a sacred treasure like blah blah blah, blah, blah. doing his, his typical like villain spiel and sylvia does something that she calls realm heart that's like a one of her special powers as a dragon where she literally freezes time and so while the enemy is still coming at her, she freezes time. So it's just her and Arthur. And that's when she like asks him like, oh, can you call me grandma? Like so forth and so forth. And he does it. And then she literally like pushes him, kind of like headbutts him into the portal. And Arthur's in tears. Sylvia's in tears. Um, she's super weak. She knows she's about to die right now. Like either if the wound doesn't kill her, like this enemy for sure will kill her. And she gives Arthur the stone and says, kind of says, you know, take this with me. And she also gives him a, a piece, like he, she gives her one of, or she gives him one of his, fe one of her feathers as like a, kind of like a keepsake to remember her by. And so Arthur takes the stone with him in the portal. But on top of that, Sylvia also gives him something she calls her dragon will, which is um, in this world, in this continent of Dicathan they deal with mana beasts. So these are just like wild beasts of different strengths. They go anywhere from, you know, E-class all the way up to SS. But even though the, the main kind of relationship they have with mages is mages are usually killing them because the mana beast is trying to kill them. <laughs> um, but every once in a while, a mage will find a mana beast that they tame and they bring the mana beast under their control. And once they tame that mana beast and like have that mana beast kind of like heal to them, the mana beast can share its will with them, which essentially gives the the mage like the beast's uh, mana abilities. So Sylvia, being a dragon, she willingly gives Arthur her dragon will, which means that even if she dies, Arthur will still be able to have her power, like her mana abilities. And so that's kind of how. Uh, he departs from Sylvia and it's implied that, you know, she dies after that, even though Arthur doesn't get the confirmation, it's implied that once Sylvia like kicks him out of the portal, like she's dead. Yeah. Which was like, like you said, was just like one of the most heart wrenching moments in the entire series. It really was. And I, I was expecting so much more to come of that. I was expecting there to be like a entire, like, you know, four or five chapters of them just trying to get someplace or, you know, they find a way to heal Sylvia. Like I was expecting like this whole adventure to start and then that happened. And I was like, well, I need my cat to give me happiness and loves right now. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, but once, um, so as, as Arthur gets, you know, pushed out through this portal, he kind of assumes he's going to end up near because he knew that um, Sylvia said, I'm going to give you a portal to give you back home. But since she wasn't able to finish it as or finish it completely, she just said, I'm going to get you as close to people as possible. Right. And so he instantly kind of starts getting up, looking around. And the first thing he hears is uh, Sylvia's voice in his head, which at first he thinks that she's still alive, but then realizes it's actually like a uh, kind of like a recording in his own like mana core, um, which when she transferred her uh, beast will over to him, she kind of like left this message for him to listen to, which was pretty much just telling him like, you know, you, you have so much more that you can do for this world. You have so much knowledge that no one here knows. Um, knows every and like you you can make such an impact on this world if you even if you just put time and energy into it and now that i'm giving you my power as well i know you'll go above and beyond that um and she she mentions like once you go once you advance your mana level to beyond the white stage i believe uh i'll contact you again so which means like there's yeah. like a now another message that's still inside of him that he can't unlock until he achieves that goal um 
which to me was just like blew me away because I'm just like, and then I, I think at the end of it, doesn't she call him King Gray? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> because I could I couldn't remember when she makes that comment, but I know she made that comment. But I couldn't remember if it was in the message or when she like left him. I believe she made it when she made him promise to live. Um, when she made him promise to live a childhood with no regrets. Or yeah. So it's like yeah. So like even then it was like you know she knew who he really was. Like yeah. he looked she looked past him and more or less looked at his soul than actually add him as a person yeah which which also makes her even more mysterious because the question that you have to ask yourself naturally as a reader or at least the question i kept asking myself over and over again and and this isn't a spoiler because i'm all the way current caught up with the books and i still don't we still don't have an answer of this yet so this is not a spoiler whatsoever um as a reader you're constantly asking yourself okay we get that arthur got reincarnated but how like this isn't just something that just randomly happened to him someone reincarnated him into that body yeah exactly this isn't you know if this was a common thing then nobody would be surprised if you were ever to say well i was reincarnated as you know i used to be this exactly exactly so like the fact that sylvia knows his past life and knows like he was king gray it, it immediately like like triggered my spidey senses so to speak of like okay like what what the hell is the deal with sylvia like is she responsible for bringing him to this new world or like does she know the people who are responsible for bringing him to this new world like what the hell is going on yeah no and there's like there's so much about that character that i want to know more about mm-hmm. and it's just it's insane yeah um but so at this point Arthur is kind of at the, the stage he goes, okay, Sylvia said I was going to be near people, so there must be somebody nearby. And so he kind of starts looking around, and he hears people off in the distance, um, slowly, slowly approaches them, but he has, like, this feeling inside that feels like something's off. Like, there's something about these people that just isn't right. Um, so he kind of hangs back for a second, and he suddenly hears this girl start to scream, re- asking for help. And one of the other traders, one of the other people there pretty much like backhands her and says, Oh, she, she's talking again. Shut her up. Like, you know, make it stop. Bastards. And I was just like, good God, these people are having a really bad picnic. Like I do not want to be a part of their party. Um, and so then you find out that these guys are also um, slave traders. And so they've somehow kidnapped a young um, elf girl and they were trying to, you know, keep her, you know, locked up in a cage and so now Arthur's like, well, I'm glad I didn't approach these people because they would not have been my best friend. They probably would have sold me into a slavery. And so he's now currently trying to figure out how do I get the like, what do I do with the situation? Like, these are not the people I'm pretty sure Sylvia meant me to be part to be near because mm-hmm. they're not really helpful. And so he's like, I could steal one of their animals and run away and hope to God they, they don't catch me. I could kill them all take one of the animals and then leave and hope I can get out of these woods. Oh, and also to rewind, Arthur realizes when he, when he realizes where he is, he's actually in the elven forest, which no one can get out of unless you're an elf. So it's like a hazy, foggy forest that no one knows in or out of, except if you're an elf, because they know the land. And so he knows that he can't just wander around this forest because then he'll eventually just die of starvation. Um, And so that's where in his head he's like, well, maybe the girl can help me get out. If I save her, she'll help me. And so then Arthur decides, okay, I'll I'll save the girl and hopefully she'll help me get out of the forest. And this part I enjoyed so much because he decides to kind of keep an eye on them until they're kind of at an opportune moment to kind of ambush them. And he's like hiding away in the trees. So he's kind of like a Spider-Man or like Tarzan combination. And he's like slowly approaching them and like hiding in the trees and trying to get to them in time for, and so he's like using his mana rotation. He's using his mana skills to like keep up with them. And they finally, make camp in the middle of the woods and you think that you know it's it's a sweet little four-year-old boy who's gonna you know knock out these evil men and you know um save the girl uh i could not be more wrong if i tried 
Um, these, <laughs> this small little devil of a man <laughs> destroys these slave traders <clears throat> in a way that just almost like kind of gave me nightmares the more and more I thought about it. <laughs> he was very brutal about it. But uh, so, like, I enjoyed it quite a bit in the sense of like the reaction of the slave traders when they found out it was a little boy doing it to them. Like there's a specific scene where he like jumps out and surprises one of the slave traders who's like terrified at first because he can sense like this, uh, he can sense like the bloodlust, but he doesn't know who the person is, but he senses there's like an enemy with a lot of bloodlust near him. And so he's like terrified when the enemy jumps out and then he sees it's a kid and he like starts smiling and he's like, oh, it's just a little punk. Like this is going to be easy. And then Arthur just like <laughs> destroys him. <laughs> well, yeah. And like, so he's pretty much what Arthur's doing is he's pretty much either stabbing them in the neck or in the head and like cutting out their, their throats and like, this is a very messy thing for him to do. <laughs> and so he eventually takes out all of the different captors who have like the dumbest names ever. They're like called puke, snot, vomit, like the weirdest names you could name, you know, a bunch of thugs in yeah, the forest. Typical pieces of shit. But and then he he goes to the cage where the little elf girl is. And when I first read it, I was like, oh, he's going to go save the girl. Great. And they're going to go on a merry way. But then as I reread it a second time, he just got done slaughtering four full grown men with a dagger, not a very long sword or no, or, or he had one of the one of their knives or something. But, you know, he's cutting out their throats. They're bleeding everywhere. So I'm assuming he's covered in blood at this point. Yeah. And he approaches the cage like this wild animal trying to convince this small elf girl to help him and i'm like dude you approach this all wrong like there, there's a way to approach a girl and there's a way not to approach a girl you do not approach a girl covered in blood of your enemies and say you're gonna help me now <laughs> hi i'm arthur nice to meet you <laughs> let's be friends ignore the blood please um yeah no i agree with that but but the the surprising thing though is like tess warms up to him very quickly that's the girl that he ends up saving her name is tess and she like like the she eventually like she essentially accepts his offer um and they kind of have an agreement that he's gonna help her get back to her place and then she'll help him get to his place so to speak um so yeah. he's gonna help her get home and then she's gonna help him eventually get home um but he doesn't really know too much about her other than her name and that she's an elf and that she lives in uh Elinwar, which is the realm of the elves and so, uh, like, uh, they have, like, they kind of go start going on their journey, and they have this really cute scene where uh, Tess, um, like, they're, they're about to, like, sleep in the tent together, and Arthur, still with, like, his kind of kingly mindset, <laughs> um, is like, well, I'm not going to sleep right next to, like, a little girl. Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I'm not a creep. <laughs> and uh, even though he's a little kid himself. Uh, yeah, exactly. And he, like, they kind of, like, wrap up the night in, like, a tent. And Arthur's like, all right, well, I'm going to go into my tent or I'm going to sleep outside or whatever. I'll be on lookout. And Tess is like, what? You're going to leave me? And he sees that she's, like, terrified to be alone, which I don't blame her after the experience she just had. And the yeah. fact that she's a little kid herself, she's only a year older than Arthur um, at this point in the story. So she's a little kid herself and they're in the middle of the woods, like at the bit pitch of like, at the, like I wouldn't want to be by myself either. And I'm a grown ass man. Um, <laughs> I don't think anybody would want to be alone after being kidnapped by a bunch of people named pukes, pukes, <laughs> not and vomit. Right. Like. So um, they end up, uh, they end up late or they end up like sleeping in the tent together. Arthur kind of stays up to, keep a lookout on things and to make sure, you know, Tess feels safe. And the whole time they're kind of having this journey of just like kind of getting to know each other and building a level of like camaraderie and chemistry. And uh, they're both so cute because they both got like the small bodies with like the huge heads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, even there was like, there was a moment that I really loved where, like Arthur was trying to be like, I guess chivalrous, but he was like, Oh, well you can sleep in the tent and I'll stay outside. Yeah. And then like Tess was trying to find, he's like, well in these forests, since you look like a little kid and I know you can take care of yourself, but beasts don't, 
you'll attract more beasts. So you should sleep in the tent. And he goes, oh, well, then I'll go sleep in the tree. Yeah. And like you can see, and Tess is like, "Damn it!" Yeah, yeah. She's um, like, and she's like trying to find ways. And so, like, and Arthur already knows what's happening, and he goes, "Are you afraid to sleep by yourself?" <laughs> and she goes, "No, I, I'm, I'm fine. I can do whatever I want." And then, like, a minute goes by, and you just the, the tent opens up and goes, "I'm afraid to sleep by myself." Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then there's another part too that. Um, is uh, is a is a pretty cool and a pretty important part in terms of kind of foreshadowing their, I guess their relationship moving forward. You know, as as friends, um, is that Arthur, even though he's the one that literally just took on like all these adult dudes and like slaughtered them, <laughs> like he all he cares about is Tess's well being. And, like, there's a part where he, like, he asks her, like, are you okay? Like, you know, is everything okay? And she kind of looks at him, like, why are you asking me? Am I okay? You're the one who just took on a bunch of, like, fully grown adults. Like, are you okay? And, like, Arthur's just sitting there, like, no, it's like a normal Tuesday for me. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, to, like, kind of make a long story short in terms of their, their, uh, trip, um, they successfully navigate through the woods and get to Tess's home and this is where like the 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 plot twist comes in so the moment they get to Tess's home like you immediately see like like these guards these royal guards like transport themselves from wherever they were to like right in front of Tess and Arthur and like they're pulling up to like this castle pretty well pulling up like they're in a car <laughs> they're walking up to this castle <laughs> and Arthur is like this is insane. He's like, he's like, even in my past world, there was nothing that could compare to this. Like this castle looks like something out of a fairy tale. Like this is where Tess lives. Like what the hell? And so like these Royal guards pull up and they're like, Oh, princess Tessia. Like, we're so glad you're home. Uh, you know, the moment we caught wind of your mana, we came straight here. And then that's when Arthur's like, you're a princess. <laughs> and like, even the night before he like called her like little miss princess or something in like a, it's like, a joke. Way. like, yeah, as a joke. And like, he's like, oh crap, it really is a princess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the whole time this, this girl that Arthur saved that he went on this kind of trip to bring her home with the whole time she was royalty and she was a princess. So, um, that kind of, again, it, with Arthur, it's like, are you just getting lucky in these encounters or is all this stuff happening for a reason? You know, cause it's like, yeah, it like seems you, like, like it always seems like it's a horrible situation. Right. And then it comes out 10 times better than you thought it could. It's like each new person he meets is like a more important figure than the last. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like they it just it's like his connections are just growing like crazy man like it's like dude who needs linkedin when you got arthur's connections um, i know right you just need him to be your buddy and you'll you know become the mvp of the or uh, you'll become the the ceo of the milwaukee bucks soon enough. right exactly so um tessie's parents enter the fold like they they transport themselves in front of the the gate or the entrance to the castle or whatever because they're obviously worried about their daughter they sprint up to their daughter. They, you know, they're crying. They're, they're, they hug her. They're, you know, relieved that Arthur brought her back. And then while her, her father and her mother, the king and the queen, are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> are like hugging Tess and like welcoming her back home, <laughs> there's this grumpy ass old elf in the background just eyeing the fuck out of Arthur. Oh my god! And and like it's not it's not just the old ass elf I and him. It's every single guard around him. Yeah. They're all like waiting for the order to like decapitate this little yeah. kid. Like there is no like a, like thank you for saving our princess. There's none of that. There's just like what the fuck is a human doing in our realm? Right. Like that is the key thing that they're worried about. <laughs> exactly. And so um, and so uh eventually the parents kind of figure out what happened so they they thank arthur and they're like um the the king the father is like thank you for delivering my my daughter safe um from you know the woods but like can we bring you back in our home because we need some more details on what the hell happened and arthur says like the king has like a smile on his face when he says it 
but in his eyes, he's giving him a look like this isn't a request. <laughs> like, this is yeah, like, he's like you're you coming back come. with us. <laughs> you're, you're coming with us. Yeah. So um, Arthur gets in a meeting with them, and again, this is so this is like a really cute scene because it's a four year old kid, small body, big head, but. Arthur, because he has the knowledge of his past life, and he was a king in his past life, he understands, like, this is royalty. I need to talk to them a certain way. <laughs> so he gives, like, this super formal, like, uh, kind of greeting to the king and queen. And he explains the situation of what happened in, like, the most regal way possible. And right away, the king's like, you don't talk like a four-year-old human, dude. <laughs> Well, wasn't there like, didn't he have like a thought where he was like, I don't want to deal with this whole, oh, I'm a four year old thing. Yeah. So I'm just going to squish, I'm going to, I'm going to squish that right away. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to sound like the most proper four year old they've ever met. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then, um, he tells them the, the, like how like Tessia was getting, got kidnapped by slaves and the father is like infuriated. It's like, I should have known it was those fucking human slave traders like blah 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 and he's pretty much starts shitting on humans and then arthur steps in and this is like king arthur speaking at this point and he's like or king gray speaking at this point and he's like you know um your highness while i know what happened to your daughter is like horrific like you shouldn't stereotype all humans like we're not all like that <laughs> and i was like damn arthur okay <laughs> like well, yeah, like he was even like he even said something is like, oh, they were actually slave traders. Like I was even a victim of them as well. Mm-hmm. And like so he kind of like puts the king in check real quickly, but in the most like underhanded way possible. Right. Super passive aggressive about it. Um, And then uh, and so like the whole time they're having this conversation again, the grumpy old dude is just eyeing the shit out of Arthur with like this like devious smile on his face like he knows something about arthur that arthur doesn't realize he knows uh and but you can tell he likes arthur like he's at least interested in him and so essentially arthur says like i need help getting back home your daughter promised you guys would help me and the king lets him know like we'd love to give you back home but the thing is since the war between the elves and the humans there's only a specific point in the year or point really in in life <laughs> in their in life how how, how they live post war where we can transport you back to sapin which is you know the the human kingdom and arthur's like okay well when when's the next opportunity for the portal to open and the king's like five years <laughs> and arthur's like what the five years i gotta wait like, five years before i get transferred like what the hell and so the king lets him know like yeah you gotta wait five years sorry but in the meantime like we'll find Sudi suitable living arrangements for for you somewhere you know within you know our kingdom or whatever um but yeah you're gonna have to wait five years but but for tonight you can stay in our castle and we'll have a guest room set up for you and you know so forth and so forth so arthur obviously agrees because he doesn't really have a fucking choice right um (laughs) between a rock and a hard place at this point (laughs) exactly and so then arthur and tess like tess is walking him over to the guest room or whatever and then all out of nowhere, Arthur like feels the presence of like a weapon headed straight towards Tess. And so Arthur, like obviously with like his awareness, he he catches the weapon, which was like a knife. Um and like his reflexes were like super quick. And you look over and you see it was the grumpy old man who who threw the weapon. And that grumpy old man, his name is actually Virian. And he's the father of the king, and he was actually the previous king of the elves, and he resigned in order to let his son reign. But he still has as much – to be honest, he has even more respect like within the elven kingdom and outside of the elven kingdom than his son because he was the one who led the elven army against the humans. And he was such a good commander that like he kind of – they had to like fight the war almost at like a standstill. And so – um arthur's like oh my god like a former king like and they called him an elder now because obviously he's not the king anymore even though he could be if he really wanted to and arthur's like what the hell are you doing are you trying to kill your own granddaughter and he's like he's like well actually that's just like a prop it's just like a toy and you see that it's actually not a real knife it's like a toy knife And he's like i just wanted to test your like your reaction time and like wow you're very quick and so he's like kind of talking to arthur you know kind of feeling him out a little bit and at this point he's figured out arthur and he figured out what's going on with arthur and one of the things like i forgot to mention when i was explaining like his journey with tess is arthur is now coming across these 
random bouts of pain in his chest to the point where like it immobilizes him and like it, it's happening all the time and Virian understands this completely and we can get more into it in our next episode but i'll leave this off as saying like the way like we'll leave it off is Virian after kind of feeling Arthur out and seeing like his abilities and whatnot or seeing some of his abilities and like his reaction time. He literally just drops the question. He's like, Brad, how would you like to be my new student? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And like, that's another thing real quick is he only refers to him as Brad. I love it. I love it. Especially in the audio book, the way they voice it, just like Brad. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's the most long winded high, high way of saying brat i've ever heard it's just so funny to hear <laughs> really i love it dude i love it so that's kind of like where we'll leave off is like arthur obviously his eyes go bug-eyed because the humans and the elves were just in a war so the last thing he would ever expect is a uh, elf like an elf elder like literally of the highest position you could possibly be within the elven kingdom and one of the most if not the most pronounced warrior ever like in the elven kingdom or one of the most famous anyway is offering to be his teacher, a human, <laughs> like a four-year-old kid at that. So that's kind of where we leave off. In the next episode, we'll go into details about what Virian's found out about Arthur and why, you know, he even asked, like he even offers the idea of being Arthur's teacher. Yeah, exactly. Perfectly put, man. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks guys for checking out another episode of Limitless Otaku, and uh, until next until next time. Yeah, we'll catch we'll catch you later, folks.